This is Life Links with a DL Link. Welcome to the DL Link Show. One minute past 12 o'clock. Uh, this is the show where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm looking so forward to being with you for the next hour. I'm Nikki Seberini, and once again, we have a great line up for you today. Just a reminder at the offset that um, our lines are open if you'd like to contribute to the conversation in any way or form 0746547335 or you can SMS us on 34519 that SMS line 34519. I do have to ask as well for you to please forgive me if I do start coughing or sniffling. I seem to have uh, woken up with a little bit of a cold. Um, so we will just make our way gently through the show. And in fact, I'm sitting opposite the right person. I'm very nervous because he's going to be telling me all the right things I should be doing and the things that I should be avoiding. In terms of homeopathy, and I'm so excited to be talking about homeopathy because it's something that I really opened myself to when I had children. Um, and I just, you know, someone had mentioned it and I started doing a little bit of investigating into homeopathy. And I thought, let me, as a mom, um, and in terms of healing my children, let me open my mind to homeopathy. So the question is that I have for you is, have you ever made use of homeopathy? Is it something that you only use, only strictly um, homeopathic remedies? Um, do you complement homeopathic remedies um, with your GP and what he prescribes? And how is it working for you? Because we are really going to be unpacking homeopathy in terms of treatment of cancer as a complementary treatment. And I have two fascinating guests who are going to be sharing not only their knowledge and insight, but their personal stories as well. I have Dr. Danny Pillay, who's the chairman of the Homeopathic Association of South Africa in the studio. And I have Bernadette Price, who is a homeopath herself. She's a pediatric nurse. She is a midwife. Um, she's a former student of uh, Dr. Pillay, um, as well as a patient. So so the story gets a whole lot more interesting. Um, and so, as I said, you know, if you've got any questions, if you'd like to contribute in terms of homeopathy, as I said, I'd love to hear from you. SMS us 34519. So let me introduce our guest, Dr. Danny Pillay, Bernadette Price. Welcome. Lovely to have you both on the show. Good morning, Nikki, and to your listeners. Dr. Pillay, how interesting homeopathy. As I said, it's something that I've certainly used in my family. Did I see marked improvements? Well, I didn't really have anything to measure it against because as soon as my children, when they were little babies, got ill, the first um, uh, call was to a homeopath. I will say that for me, there were times it was frustrating. I'd look at my friends who'd put their children on a ho- on an antibiotic and within three or four days, they seemed to overcome whatever ailment they had. Whereas for me, it was the remedies every few hours and it took an extended period of time. Will, would I change that? No, not at all. Um, do I have strong, healthy children? I would say they're relatively strong. I'd say that the immune systems are, um, you know, um, challenged as mine is on this very day. Um, but I'm always willing and open to find out more and more. When I walk into uh, a pharmacy, the homeopathic aisles are growing. Um, so it means that more and more people are open to it. Let's talk about homeopathy. Let's talk about, I mean, I've, I've heard about Samuel Christian Hanneman, who was born in, in Germany, and he is the person who, he didn't discover homeopathy. He just opened himself to the, the wonderful idea of the body 
being able to heal itself. Is that what homeopathy is all about, Dr. Pillay? The body healing itself? Well, homeopathy is about using substances prepared in a specific way that Hahnemann had founded that assist the body in healing itself. So you're basically using a homeopathic substance to treat patients who present with a specific group of symptoms. And that, for example, we use if a patient presents with a runny nose, a sore throat, or watery eye, if it's similar to the common cold, then we'd give a substance that can produce that symptom in a healthy patient. So, so just let's break that down if you don't mind. So yes. you're going to use something that'll produce the symptoms, not the actual illness, the symptoms in the patient. Why are you doing that? Okay. So homeopathy to break it down yeah. means similar suffering, homeos and pathos, mm-hmm. similar suffering. Mm-hmm. So what we've, what Hahnemann had founded that if you took a substance and you gave it to a group of healthy patients or persons, they're not patients, they would produce a group of symptoms. That means the substance is capable of inducing these symptoms in a healthy subject. So someone who is ill who presents, presents with the symptoms, you would give in a homeopathic form. To use a very simple example, mm-hmm. if you had a breakaway fire, often enough you'll burn a fire on the opposite side and they'll break, get together, create a, big, a bit of a bigger fire and then will extinguish itself. So he used and experimented and found that substances are capable of producing and inducing symptoms in healthy subjects. So he uncovered this when quinine apparently was seen as something taken from the bark of a tree was seen as something that could help with malaria. So he decided to to take the substance. Yes. And he exhibited the symptoms. So he was disillusioned at the time of the way of medical practice. Mm -hmm. And he spoke about 13 different languages. So he spent and earned his living from translating medical literature. So he was translating a Professor Cullen's Materia Medica where he said quinine, because of its bitter principles, cured malaria. And Hahnemann being a chemist and then a medical doctor, stated that he knows far more bitter substances. So he decided to test himself with quinine and it produced produced similar symptoms to that of malaria. So that's how he started investigating for a six to eight year period with other substances. So people before him, like Hippocrates said, the disease which isn't cures the disease which is. And other ancient literature pointed towards this phenomenon. So what Hahnemann did was actually formalize this phenomenon. So he wasn't not necessarily the inventor. And he observed this already occurring in other experiences in nature, in plant and animal models. uh, And so he formalized this. So I I like the analogy used, a fire, you have a fire, you meet it with another fire. You'll have a a brighter flame for a period of time and then it dies down, as opposed to that fire just continuing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So the symptoms meet the illness. Correct. And so your body fights it. Yes. So you the, 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 the symptoms equip the body to fight it. Yes. Okay. It's like an armory almost. Y- yes, it's armory. And if you understand a biphasic reaction, so you can put two things with a similitude, they'll cancel each other out. Okay. Fascinating. So, Dr. Pillay, where do you get these remedies from? What is the origin of the particular homeopathic remedies? So, m- most remedies are originating from plant and mineral sources. Mm-hmm. We do use animal products from, like, for example, from bee venom out of a the, the apis malefica, the bee. So they are prepared in a homeopathic manner. So they're usually done by laboratories for us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in a minute, minute, minute form. Absolutely. So one of the things in homeopathy is that we are diluting down a one in a hundred. So if you've done 12 dilutions, 
there's no more original molecules in the substance, which has created a lot of consternation in the scientific community, saying then if it's so dilute, there's no more molecules, then it must be placebo. Mm-hmm. But we found that they are ultra-high dilution, so current research is suggesting that the homeopathic products work on a nanoparticle manner. That is, wow. means one path, one million, billionth the part of a molecule. So what we have observed in homeopathy, empirically, if we give a treatment to a child, an animal model, uh, there's definitely a result. So it's not a placebo effect. We are measuring the effects. What we haven't done is to explain the complete mechanism of action. The fact that it works empirically doesn't mean we, we are completely accepting that we must just rest there. We want to have more research on it. But the fact that we can't explain it doesn't mean it doesn't work. So for 200 years we've been using it, and the fact that as you've started in your preamble, that there's a growing interest in homeopathy uh, worldwide, it's growing mm-hmm. about 40% per annum. Mm-hmm. That means patients are deriving a benefit. Mm-hmm. It is the way homeopathy works as an individual. It doesn't lend itself to what is called Western clinical trials, or randomized clinical trials. Which must be quite frustrating for you, though, because while you, while we see that it is growing and more and more people are opening themselves to homeopathy, there are many GPs, many doctors from the westernized medicine who don't in any way support it because they say there are no medical findings. Well, there are medical findings. If you go to the Homeopathic Research Institute, I'm one of the vice presidents of an international body called Liga Medicorum Homeopathica Internationalis, where there's over 6,000 medical doctors of all specialities who become homeopaths, and we are producing the data. <laughs> the fact remains is that many people don't choose to re- read the data. Right. They start with the, with the notion that homeopathy is implausible. So it can't work, so they don't bother reading it. But there's enough data. Ask millions of patients over the last 200 years whether homeopathy works or not. Amazing. We're going to take a break. After the break, um, we're going to expand on the story. So please do stay with us. LifeLinks is a DL-Link fundraising initiative. This is LifeLinks with a DL-Link. And welcome back to the DL Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. We're talking about homeopathy. I have in the studio Dr. Danny Pillay, who's chairman of the Homeopathic Association of South Africa, as well as Bernadette Price, who is a homeopath. Um, she's a pediatric nurse and midwife, Pillay's former student and a patient as well. So, Dr. Pillay, um, we've, we've established that this is growing. As I said, if you walk into a pharmacy now, you've got more aisles. Before it would be a tiny little section. Now that you've got a couple of aisles that are dedicated homeopathic remedies. But when you explain it to me, it sounds complex. It sounds like it's a very, very delicate balance. Would you subscribe to people going to a pharmacy and just buying things uh, over the counter? Or do you think it's very important to go to a homeopath? And if so, why? All right. Firstly, uh, I must uh, clear up the, the misconceptions that when we speak about the aisles, often enough there's a whole lot of other products that are grouped and called homeopathic remedies. Okay, good. So yes. a lot of them are herbal, plant, supplement-based things, so they're not all homeopathic. In order to treat homeopathically, often enough you need to look at the individual. Mm-hmm. So it requires that a professional consult you and prescribe for you. Homeopathy is individualized medicine. So we'll have over-the-counter products. They may not be unsafe, but they might not be efficacious. So that's the issue for us because unless it's been subjected, if you put a product over the counter and make a certain claim for, for example, you say it's going to treat a common cold, then the supplier must then demonstrate its efficacy. So we look at quality, safety, and efficacy. 
homeopathic medicines need to be prescribed individually by a homeopath. Okay. Um, can you use homeopathic remedies with the other remedies in the aisle? For example, the plant-based, the the other herbal remedies? Do often, they? Yes. Often enough you can, and you can also use them with allopathic or Western medicines. So I like the word complementary because we are complementary. We are not an alternative, and we're not certainly being substitutive. Okay, well, I'm glad you said that because it certainly brings us into the next topic. You're saying working with allopathic uh, medicines. Um, we do focus on cancer and cancer treatments here on this show. And, uh, Bernadette, you're going to be sharing with us, in fact, how you've made use of both um, of, of the allopathic and the homeopathic as well. So, Bernadette, you, what, what, I mean, a, a pediatric nurse, what came first, the pediatric nurse or studying homeopathy? Actually, I spent 25 years in conventional medicine first before oh, wow. I did homeopathy. So I was in pediatrics for 25 years. For 25 years. And then what drew you to homeopathy? I, I'm going to ask you to come a little bit closer to the mic. Baby. I'd been, um, I'd used homeopathy with my children um, in conjunction with allopathic medicine. So I knew the two worked together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... I'd lived up in West Africa for quite some time and I felt there was a need within myself to explore homeopathy a bit further. And it started just out as being inquisitive mm-hmm. and, and trying to find something else. And then I decided, actually, no, I actually wanted to know this a lot more. And I actually started, stu- I went back to varsity and I studied again. Wow. And you, that's when you came across Dr. Pillay? Yeah, he was a fifth year lecturer. How how long does homeopathy take? It is a five-year degree. Five-year degree, okay. That covers the basic sciences, anatomy, physiology, pharmacology, pathology, all the Western wow. biomedical sciences. In addition to that, homeopathic medicine. So homeopaths are trained as primary care diagnosticians. Hmm. So, so Bernadette, you, you had kids, and then you went back to varsity for five years to study homeopathy. You are very brave. You're very It's just a choice. Did you love that experience? What was it like being at that stage of your life and going then back and studying for so long? Um, I was far more driven mm-hmm. um, than, than when I did my first degree 30 years before. Sure. But, um, yeah, it was just something that I, that I did. I actually went with the flow. I won't say that it was like um, the most enlightening time in my life, but it was... It was just something that I had to do. So I went with it. One of my daughters was at varsity, so I did it kind of in between hers and the next um, daughter's matric years. And yes. And I think it's so admirable on many levels. I I salute you. I think that's fantastic. Absolutely. So how long after um, you'd finished studying and then practicing homeopathy were you diagnosed with breast cancer? Um, About five years. That must have come as a huge shock. It did come as a big shock. Mm. Um, it wasn't something that I anticipated. I felt I'd done all the right things mm-hmm. to prevent ever getting breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something I never ever wanted to have. Um, and so it was quite a big shock. And um, I was very betwixt and between. Which, which route to go? Did I, did I follow a conventional route? Or did I... Um, Try the, the whole natural thing. And it was actually Danny who said to me, Bernie, you cannot do this um, with just natural medicine. You, get, you need to do both. 
And I think I sat on the fence for about two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then I actually started treatment. Mm. I can imagine you how you must have grappled with that because you had followed both and you knew. And uh, so once you had decided two weeks later that you were going to follow both, how do you do something like that? How do you, I mean, Dr. Palau, bring you in here now. I mean, I know that when it went to the next stage and I did have to put my children on an antibiotic, my homeopathy would say stop homeopathic treatment while he's on the antibiotic. So I don't know if that's right, if it's wrong, because now the body's going through a different stage with an antibiotic. How does homeopathy work with something like chemotherapy? therapy or, or radiotherapy? Well, as I started earlier saying, homeopathic medicines are, di- are dilutions and are high dilutions. So they won't interfere with the, the action of a chemotherapeutic substance where some herbs may. Okay. So it's about preparing the patient mentally, emotionally, and physically. When you've got such a, a, a diagnosis, it's, it's quite affronting to you at all levels of your being. So while we're providing you some mechanical solution or some chemical solution where we have to either use radiation or chemotherapy or surgery, we also have to deal with the patient as a whole. Mm. To understand cancer is not just a localized disease. Mm. It's present locally, presents locally, but it's actually a systemic disease. So it's about how the body functions, how the immune system functions, how the endocrine system. So I don't see an either or whether you're using homeopathy or, or conventional medicine, it's about what is in the best interest of the patient. patient. So if there's a tumor, sometimes you want to shrink it with chemotherapy before you go into do surgery, and you want to support that patient. We understand there's different types of chemotherapeutic agents, and what they do is to attempt to kill fast-dividing cells. Primarily, you want to target cancer cells, but unfortunately, you also injure healthy cells. Mm. Our first context in medicine is first do no harm. But sometimes when faced things with cancer, we give drugs that do create harm with the overall view of saving the patient. Mm-hmm. So with homeopathy, we're trying to assist that body to function, to get the immune system, to don't suppress the, the red blood cells formation because you generally suppress the, the bone marrow. So we are supporting the patient in all of those ways whilst the chemotherapeutic drug is working to target destroying the cancer cells. So while the chemotherapy is breaking it down, your body down to destroy the cancer, the homeopathy is breaking it up, I mean building it up. Well, trying to build up the immunity yeah. and those Sounds parts... Sounds like a great combination. Well, generally it is. And uh, in South Africa, it's maybe not as well known. But for example, in the healthcare in France, there's there's close collaboration between oncologists and homeopaths treating really? the patients simultaneously. That's fantastic. So, so let me ask you this, Dr. Pillay. Are you... Are you treating the symptoms of chemotherapy? So, for example, the nausea, um, the effects that it's happening on, uh, having on the bones or whatever, or are you actually helping complement the body? You said boosting the immune mm. system, fight the cancer. Well, we actually do both because some okay. we're going to do the symptomatic for you. So some of these chemotherapy agents interrupt how the cells function. So we're trying to assist with that. You're going to present side effects, toxic effects of the drugs. We right. help with that. But certainly also assist the body because naturally we know that bodies do fight cancers. For a cancer to be viable, you need a billion cells. So every day when we have cancer cells, our body's immune systems are detecting them and destroying them. For some reason, we don't understand in medicine still that some cancer cells have a mechanism to prevail and to produce more cells and if they break away, cause metastases. Okay, let's take a break. After the break, uh, there is an SMS that's come through. We are going to be back, so please stay with us. If you are in business and you would like to support the DL Link, consider advertising or sponsoring the show. 
This is LifeLinks with a DL link. If you've just tuned in, welcome. I'm Nikki Seberini. This is 101.9 High FM, and you're listening to the DL Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. We're talking about homeopathy and very specifically used as a complementary treatment when treating cancer. I have Dr. Danny Pillay, who's chairman of the Homeopathic Association of South Africa in the studio, and Bernadette Price, who is a homeopath, but she is a patient, a cancer patient as well. Although, Dr. Pillay, you don't say patient. No, we do say patients. You do say patients. Okay. okay. All right. Then I'm happy with that. Right. So I've got an SMS. And please, if you have any questions for Dr. Pillay, please do SMS us on 34519. Jonathan SMS and say, Dr. Pillay, is it correct in saying homeopathy is implausible? It cannot be explained scientifically or statistically. It is one of those questions we have all the time. So when we talk about science, what are we basing it on? Are we basing it on Newtonian science, where we're just looking at the, the chemical beyond this side of Avogadro's number? So Avogadro was a gentleman who said there's 6,023 times 10 to the 23 molecules in a molar mass. So if you dilute a homeopathic substance one in 112 times, mm-hmm. there's no longer original molecules, but we're still saying it's working. Right, which you explained earlier. I explained earlier. Right. So 25% of homeopathic products are on the other side of Avogadro's number. Mm-hmm. 75% of homeopathic products on this side of Avogadro's number. So there's still chemical constituents. Mm-hmm. So, for example, estrogen in your body works in one part per million million, a hormone that we all know. So when they talk about scientifically implausible, we must understand that for 150 years we used a painkiller. We didn't know how it worked. But it did work. We mm-hmm. could only explain it in the 1970s on the prostaglandin and cyclooxygenase pathway. Mm-hmm. It didn't stop the substance from working. The fact you can't explain something doesn't make it implausible. Science's job is to explain phenomena, not to evaluate phenomena based on whether it's credulous or not, incredulous mm-hmm. or whether it's plausible or implausible. It's the job of science to explain phenomena observed. Homeopathy has been observed for 200 years. The problem with homeopathy from a Western biomedical science, it doesn't lend itself to randomized clinical trial. For example, 10 patients may come for influenza, but we will prescribe 10 different substances for those 10 different patients based on their individual, individual symptoms. Individual, that's it. So right. if, if I'm, I'm going to do a single remedy for every case of influenza, often enough you're going to find it's not going to be more effective than placebo because it wasn't meant for the patient. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is where, when they talk about statistical significance, what we should be doing is saying, find pre-diagnosed patients and let homeopaths treat them and see what is the post and pre and post situation of the patient in terms of recovery. Mm-hmm. Often enough you'll find it works, but those studies will be discarded because it does not fit into a randomized clinical trial model. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are all individuals. This notion that we all fit into like one size, one little box is, is re- absolutely ridiculous. We are all so, so different. And how scientific it is then for taking a medical product and say you give a 1,000 milligrams of the same medicine to a 50-kilogram person and a 120-kilogram mm-hmm. person? Mm-hmm. Are we trying to make the medicine to fit all patients? Yeah. Are we underdosing or overdosing? Mm-hmm. So one must be careful how we look at science because it seems to be a... Ha- a way of describing one methodology only. Mm. So whether it's homeopathy, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, all of these systems work on individuals. And we're expecting all these ancient systems of medicine to first fit a Western biomedical paradigm. Not to say evidence-based medicine is not important, but you can't only measure it on a randomized clinical trial basis. Yeah, thank you for that, um, Dr. Pillar. You also, I know that you also work with um, acupuncture. Yes, I'm a traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture practitioner as well. Wow. 
I mean, that's it's incredible, really. And acupuncture, does that work well with homeopathy? I know well, that you have a mission to try and... You know, work with them together at the same time. I often use it together. It, they, they're a standalone system of medicine, and there are persons who practice acupuncture alone and homeopathy alone. Often enough, I use it in synergy. So, for example, the patient with nausea with chemotherapy, I use acupuncture quite effectively mm-hmm. to bring about balance. And often enough, we will use some forms of and points depending on the diagnosis of the patient and how to s- support that patient. Okay. So, Bernadette, let's go back to you. You made the decision. You sat with it for two weeks, and you made the decision to combine the two. Um, then did Dr. Pillay sit with you and say, right, let's design. And, and I use the word design because we're talking about this individual, this person. It's not the one-size-fits-all. A, a, a treatment program specifically for you. To some degree. Um I also took um, the bull by the horns and actually also kind of coordinated my whole team. So whether it was the oncologist, the breast surgeon, um, or Dr. Pillay, and then I, w- I did in lots of readings. So I included some um, herbal medicine with um, that wouldn't antagonize the chemotherapy mm-hmm. but actually assisted it. Mm-hmm. And and we used homeopathy almost on a weekly basis. We also did some acupuncture twice a week. That was probably um, – and that was really, really necessary. We needed to help those detox pathways function better. Um, I did have lots of reactions to the first round of chemo. Um, and, yeah, so we, we assisted the body with the acupuncture and then um, – I used some some um, nutraceuticals also when I was really really tired, but yes, D- Danny actually helped me a lot. I mean, we we twice a week, twice a week Incredible. for acupuncture. Incredible. Everyone talks about the importance of having a team and that you're all on the same page. Besides, obviously, all the other support that you get. So, was there an issue at all with your surgeon, with your oncologist, working with Danny, with the homeopathy, and bringing in acupuncture and herbal remedies? Was everyone on on the same page with that? Um, okay, my surgeon was Professor Ben, and she was like adamant right from the start that I was going to do it holistically. That um, I would, um, her words were to me, Bernie, you're walking the great divide. You are going to show conventional medicine mm. what homeopathy can do and, mm. co- and complementary medicine, and you're going to show homeopaths that you can actually marry the two. Mm. And fortunately for me, I had a homeopath who was prepared to work with me at that level and same, and my oncologist as well. Mm. Um, there was one time when towards in, um, we, when we weren't sure if the, the tumor was shrinking and the oncologist said, can you hang back on some of the, the nutraceuticals? The, um, it was alpha lipoic acid. Um, and, and that's what we did. So let's talk about this treatment. How long? So you had surgery and then you went for chemotherapy. No, I had um, 15 weeks, no, tw- uh, yes, 12, 12 weeks of one round of chemotherapy and then 15 weeks of another. So basically six months of chemotherapy, a month break. Then I had surgery. Um, I had a left mastectomy. And reconstruction at the same time, and 
eight weeks later, followed by 30 um, radium treatments. Sure, sure. You had it all. I had you it had, all. You had, had it all. all. You had it all. That's eight months. It was actually um, two weeks short of a year two from the day of diagnosis. And how did you feel throughout that process? You said the beginning of the chemotherapy was tough. The, fir- the first round was, was really was tough. tough. I actually did stop working. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me about, I think it was about six weeks um, when Danny said, I, I think you need to stop working. And I kind of fought it because I thought I could be super mom, mm. super everything. And I think it's so important for you to say that because and you are kind of super mom, but you do need to just. And, so, and I, had to, I had to take a step back. Yeah. And um, it was about that same time. And I actually told the oncologist, listen, I need, I need to stop working. I can't, I can't do this. Mm. And he said, gee, I've been waiting three weeks for you to say that. Really? So I think, I think people need to know that it's actually okay to actually not be everything and to actually stay, take a step back and actually treat yourself mentally, physically, emotionally throughout the whole process. Mm-hmm. How are you now? I'm cancer free. Bernadette, that is fantastic. And how many, how many years later is that? It's, um, I finished 20, uh, January 2016. So it's about 18 months. That is just, and you feel good, you feel healthy. Yes. You're, you're feeling fantastic. I do. I feel great. I feel great. You look I amazing. Do, I do have days of fatigue, but mm-hmm. like then you get up the next day. And, mm-hmm. and I've learned to take a step back and actually nurture myself. Mm-hmm. Sounds like this process got you to do that a lot. Like, it, you know, we, we sometimes, we, we move forward all the time and stopping. And someone once said to me when I, when I first got the cold, it's just the body's way of saying, slow down, relax, take it easy, take it easy. Someone asked, please ask your guests if they could only afford one treatment for cancer, which one should you use, chemo or homeopathy? That's well, such a tough one, you know. Well, it's, it's a tough one to, uh, to ask for affordability. A, mm-hmm. When you compare the costs of chemo and homeopathy, you mm-hmm. can't make the comparison. No. It's a fraction. But I, I don't think that's why I speak of complementary medicine. I think yeah, one supports the, one other. the other. It depends on the kind of cancer. We've got enough data to, to prove that certain kinds of cancers are truly amenable to chemotherapy and works well. But suffice to say that no one has the monopoly on cure of cancer yet. Mm-hmm. So it is always in the best interest when we consider the patient and give them a holistic view, whether it's chemo or radio, as Bernie has spoken, where we have to use the different methodologies. Mm. But no one system has yet cured every case of cancer. So if we look at the number of cases of cancer, you know, we talk in America, one out of four deaths is cancer-related. Sure. Okay, we, we, we're talking about high numbers and increasing numbers of cancer. So I think holistic view is important. You know, in some countries where patients can't afford uh any chemo, they've used homeopathy. In South Africa, often enough, we've got a system that provides both, so at least patients can access it. But there are experiences around the world where, for example, in India, where they can't afford chemo and their, their only alternative was homeopathy and it's shown to work quite well. Mm. So we're not advocating a system of medicine for patients. We're saying, what can we holistically do? Homeopathy is not a substitute for chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. That's an important As point you say, to make. You're working at, you're working, they're working complementary. Um, Jonathan asked again, using lab mutated T cells, doctor, mm-hmm. which cells or other human cells against, hmm? Do you understand that question? Jonathan, that's, I think, is coming from you. Uh, 
Okay. Japanese so, doctors use raw honey for breast cancer. Okay, using, uh, do you understand that question? Yeah, so okay, maybe you want to expand on that. White cells and other human cells again, cancer cells. So what is happening currently is new parts of, uh, there's different kinds of agents for chemotherapy. The alkylating agents, then we use these anti-metabolic agents. So these are the older systems of drug therapy and induced because they're quite toxic. And now what we're doing is what we call targeted therapy. Mm-hmm. So there's been research done in Japan, Japan, but these are all cell-based on mice cells. So what you're doing is you are sensitizing cancer cells or basically sending what are called T-cells. Their job is normally to fight infections. You're targeting them against cancer cells. So there's a lot of gene therapy and molecular medicine that's going around cancer. So mm-hmm. we look forward to that. Some of it where you're using carrier molecules, so you carry your radiotherapy and you carry your chemotherapy to target cells. So you use lower doses, you have less side effects, but still targeting just cancer cells. So then we have gene therapy where you perhaps can then interfere with the deranged cell, the cancer cell, to repair it so it can function normally. So there's all kinds of therapies taking place. Right. Okay. Thank you for that. Japanese doctors use raw honey for breast cancer. Have you ever heard of that before? Have you heard of that? There's there's studies on that as well. what is it's used for cancers also they've used from New Zealand manuka honey so that's again all, all of these are trial phases we all don't trial. have a large mm-hmm. studies but you know we're always going to get anecdotal reports where some people have benefited from it I think we need to investigate a lot of this and, uh, and there's a lot of things that can become topical uh, for example uh, using cannabis oil, cannabis oil. Using cannabis we can oil talk about now. that a bit because that's being topical uh, it's not yet legislated and recognized legally in this country mm-hmm. but there's data around it if you mm-hmm. have time to talk about it absolutely and we have we have um, spoken about it and it's a fascinating topic it, what, what's incredible is how many people are using the cannabis oil but there was a warning that went out about what where you're getting your cannabis oil from and what type of cannabis oil you're using what is your experience with that doctor? Well, so, so, so in South Africa, it is not yet legal, so we don't use it in our practice. The problem is that because it's being made outside the realms of, uh, of legislation, we can't guarantee quality. People are using things like benzene to extract and get purity. Mm-hmm. So there's always a danger. But looking at research, and that's where I come from, and you know, looking at the data, that there's a lot of research, most of it in animal models, to show the benefit of both. You've got two important products called THC, tetrahydrocarbonyls, and cannabinoids. Mm. And so the human body has got receptors called both CB1 and CB2 cannabinoid receptors. So some of them affect the nervous system. That's where the THC mostly operates on, and the CB uh, cannabinoids work on other receptor sites richly found in the nervous system but other body systems. So they've shown to have anti uh, metastatic effects, they've shown to have anti-tumor effects in animal models. So it's not legislated in this country. So when the legislators change, then we can then use this and, and observe them in human studies. But overseas there have been some research. I think as we stand today, there's a big seminar today on the oh, effects. Really? Cannabinoids, unfortunately, I couldn't attend that one. A uh, host, I think, admits. It's on Saturday. Well, Saturday, is it? No, Saturday. You will attend. So that's that's becoming from an evidence-based, but that's preempting. The legislation hasn't made it legal in this country, but it'll be very interesting to see what would then happen if it was made legal. Yeah, so it's having similar effect. The study showing it has a similar effect to other medicines, except there's a lot more drowsiness and uh, you're getting some psychoactive effects. Mm-hmm. But it's comparable to anyone. Opioids fail. For painkilling, it's shown in, in the data that it helps. Mm. And obviously, we, I mean, the person that I spoke to said there's something like two or three thousand, I stand to be corrected, different types of plants. And they all have the different amounts of the THC and the, 
and the cannabinoids. That um, is correct. And, and that will affect the, the healing and the, how, the impact it will have on you. Well, the legislation has been contemplated in this country. It speaks to that. And it's about what species you use because a lot of times they've been harvested for the psychoactive yeah. Component and, and uh, we typically know what is loosely called urban poison mm-hmm. and is well known around the world for its high psychoactive effects of the THC. Right. But we're not necessarily looking for that from a medicinal point of view. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in country, in states in America, you've got, um, Colorado, uh, California, they've approved. They use it for medicinal and recreational. So there's a different parts. We, we, we have no interest in the recreational aspect, but we have an interest because there are a lot of synthes- synthesized Analogs of the cannabinoids made to use for chemotherapy patients when they have nausea. Mm-hmm. Well, are we definitely watching that space very closely. Indeed. Bernadette, for people who are listening and they're inspired by your story that you decided to use both these complementary treatments um, and that you're feeling so good and you really balanced it all, um, you're not just going to find that kind of team available to you who's prepared to work together and look at the different treatments. What would you advise um, these people to do if they're interested? I would say that they need they need to um, inform their their practitioners that um, and their, their surgeon that that actually that is the 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 way they want to go, mm-hmm. and then it's the surgeon's responsibility to put them in contact with an on- oncologist who's prepared to be open to to um, a more holistic um, way of treating, and then they will find a homeopath or naturopath to help them. Okay, who would they contact, Dr. Pillay? I mean, maybe it's something they've never thought about. Do they just go to the homeopath if they Google the down the road? Or are there specifically homeopaths out there who would work in terms of looking at uh, cancer treatment? I think it's wise to contact and ask practitioners if they have the experience because you, you need the experience. Not everybody's necessarily experienced right. in dealing with these patients. Right. Um, I think the important answer to is that is to work with a collaborative team mm-hmm. that patients must inform their doctors I do not appreciate when patients don't inform their surgeon or the oncologist what they're taking mm-hmm. equally oncologists have to listen to patients we can't say I don't know this doesn't work how it works mm-hmm. if it works so don't use it when a patient is worried about their life and their well-being they're going to explore as much as they can right. so it is our duty to inform ourselves about all different types of treatment I make it my point to understand all chemotherapeutic agents so I can well-informed patients, because if I don't know a system, I can't deny people the right of use of that system or to explore the system just because I don't know. Mm. They, I suppose they could then contact the Homeopathic Association of South Africa if they have any questions. Absolutely. Dr. Pillay, thank you so much for joining us. Bernadette, thank you so much for Pleasure. sharing your story. Both of you, your expertise, it really has been very interesting. And I do think that for people out there who are looking at treatments, who are looking for something else, you really have switched on a light for them. So I appreciate you coming here and giving of your time. Thank you both very, very much. Thank you. Pleasure. With a parting, if I may, Please. if you can make sure that you use someone that is registered with the Allied Health Professions Council of South Africa. People loosely use the word health practitioners and they are not registered. So the telltale sign is they must be registered with the Allied Health Professions Council of South Africa and they should have a practice number. Okay. That's the telltale sign. Thank you very much. Thank Dr. you kindly. Thank, thank you, Bernadette. Thank you. And thank you. We're going to take a break. After the break, we have a warrior and an angel all in one. Um, and she's going to be sharing her incredible story. Um, and her name is Stacy Richter Cohen. So don't go anywhere. Lifelinks is a DL Link fundraising initiative. 
This is LifeLinks with a DL link. This is LifeLinks with a DL link. Welcome back to the DL Link Show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination. I'm Nikki Seberini and I'm so enjoying this show. I've so enjoyed this past half hour hearing about homeopathy and this complementary treatment. And because very often uh, warriors who come into the studio talk about this loss of control and that when you're diagnosed and you go on this journey and you're told what you can or can't do, what your options are, you kind of, it's this uncharted territory. So that's really what we want to do on the show is just awaken you to so many options and different complementary treatments that are out there. There, there really is, um, there is a, a certain amount of, of choice there which gives you a certain amount of control. So I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. I'm so excited to introduce our warrior slash um, a angel, DL Link Angel, um, because she has certainly had to face cancer over a long period of time with loved ones and with herself. Yes. Um, and so, Stacey, welcome. Stacey Richter-Cohn, welcome onto the show. Are you close Thank enough? You. We'll see, I can't hear Thank you for I'm having me. Thank you for coming into the studio. The first Thank thing you. I can say is you've been sitting in the sun because yeah. you've walked <laughs> in wearing a vest. <laughs> yes. And I'm wearing five layers of clothes. <laughs> Just enjoying the downtime in the sun. <laughs> well, it's lovely to have you on Thank the you show. Thank you for having me. And that you're so brave to share your story. How do you well, feel about you. sharing your story and going and telling other people about what's what's happened you to know, you? You know, when you're first diagnosed with breast cancer, it's very scary. Um, you feel like the world is coming to an end. Mm. Um, and that's how I actually felt. But I had amazing support, um, especially from the DL link, mm-hmm. from Word Go. They gave me a call and they, they contacted They you. contacted me and they said, do I need assistance as far as getting to doctor's appointments, meals, um, someone to talk to, somebody for look after my kids in the afternoon to play with them, homework supervision. They were amazing. Thank goodness I, I had amazing support with my social circle. So I didn't need to take so much from them. I rather wanted them to help other people who don't have the support. Had you heard of the deal link so before? I had heard of them. Mm-hmm. Yes, I had heard of them. I didn't think they'd be phoning me. Sure. I was diagnosed at 36 with like wham, bam. Wow. So wow. when, you know, I, them phoning me, it's like, no, this is not real. This shouldn't be me. You know, why are you contacting me? Um, what a shock, Stacey. But, shock. but cancer had been in your family before. Yes. My mother had breast cancer 13 years previously. So I had always lived in fear of getting it, but I didn't think I'd actually get it because I was so fit and healthy. And I just... I Did just, you go for regular I mammograms? I went for regular ultrasounds because I was very young yes. and scans. Uh-huh. I went for a regular mammogram three months before I'd been diagnosed and it was all clear. Wow. Um, and then my gynecologist actually found out when I went for a routine checkup to have my third child, um, he said there's something he doesn't like. And he saved my life. He sent me back to the radiologist. It's incredible that you were there three months later at your gynae because of a third child and he picked it up. Exactly. Wow. I wasn't meant to have that third child. Clearly. Wow. Well, you, 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 <laughs> I mean, how is that? But, yes. but let me ask you, could you feel the lump? If I, you could, then put- I could not feel it. And that's the thing. I had ductal carcinoma in situ. And it's very silent. It's a silent killer. 
that it grows very rapidly, mm-hmm. but sometimes you don't feel it because it's not like a lot of the breast cancers are like pea-sized little, mm-hmm. you know, that you can actually feel. Mm-hmm. Mine, I couldn't feel it. It felt like fibroids, dense mm-hmm. breast tissue. Right. So it is actually very scary that it just creeps up on you, and it was very large. Um, it was five centimeters fast growing. She was. So it, it was drastic. I had to have drastic measures. I was young, so they also, you know, thought, you know, like, let's go full steam ahead. So uh, what did they recommend? What, what My route of treatment was double mastectomy, mm-hmm. um, which I was all for, you know, just get rid of it really? straight away. I wanted You that didn't hesitate out. at all. I didn't even want to, I wanted it out. And, and then from there it was, um, eight months of chemo, six weeks of daily ra- uh, radiation from there. Sure. Um, so it was actually about a year in the end of treatment. Um, and then since then several reconstruction operations, Plus a couple bone grafts to save the bone in my mouth. Um, because of the chemotherapy. chemotherapy. Okay, so let's rewind. Let's, let's, let's go back and let's go back. So they tell you double mastectomy. Yes. You, I mean, what a shock to the system. And it's a shock to the system. You know, system. we, we yes. always just talk about it as if this is what you do. You, you, you get, you have surgery. But yes. our breasts are, you know, they're a huge extension and we a women. part of who, exactly. How do you? We women. But for you, I mean, for you, was it just a, you know, it's my mother had it. Yes. I'm not taking a risk. I'm not even getting sentimental about it. That's it. I was very matter of fact. Yeah. I was like, take them off, take yeah. them away. It's just a part of my body. I want my life. Mm. That's how it was for me. It was a painful surgery. It was a very painful surgery, but that was the little sprint. The treatment was more the marathon. Okay. That was the easy part. How long so, between the, the, the surgery and chemo? They gave me two weeks to recover. Sure. And then they said, let's go. If I felt strong enough, which I was, I just wanted to get it over and done with. It's scary. It's very scary. And there's so many women that are phoning me now and saying, I've been diagnosed. What do I do? Mm-hmm. I, I can't, I can't give them answers. All I can, all I can say that is there's light. Mm. And share your experience. And share my experience. Yeah, yeah. Because it is scary. Mm. It really is. Did you have a choice in terms of treatment or was that what was given? No, to I was never was given it. Yeah, it was very aggressive. It was third stage, so I was never given an option, which for me, I was actually happier mm. because the decision was taken out of my hands. Right. The doctor said, this is what's happening. And we do not, and you'll be fine at the end. They basically say to me, you're going to have one hell of a year, but you're going to be fine. But you're going to be okay. Yes. So tell us about the chemotherapy. It affected the bones in your mouth. You know, this is, people think chemotherapy, I lose my hair. Yes. And I can't eat. Yes. But there's a lot more. There's a lot more. Yeah. I lost um, the bone in my mouth, which led to tooth loss. So then I had to have bone taken from my hip, put in my mouth. Sure. So they could make me teeth. Um, then you, well, how you, long after your chemo did that happen? That actually happened during chemo. I lost during. teeth. Sure. But then you have to wait till the end of chemo because you are, your immune system is so compromised. So they won't touch your mouth. You have to wait till the end. So you live without teeth for a little bit. So you've lost your breasts. You're losing teeth. Yes. You're experiencing this awful chemotherapy. How did you wake up every day, face your kids, put a smile on your face and just try and get through the day? How? It, it's tough. But thank God for my children. My children were my saving grace. Mm-hmm. I actually had to, I had to get up for them. Look, there's some days where you actually do think, why me? And I can't get up mm-hmm. and I can't do this. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's a mindset. There's a lot of mind power in the healing. Um, 
Thank goodness I have a strong mind. Mm. So I could, even if I was feeling so sick, I just used to go for a walk around the block just to kind of feel human, a mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. bit human. Mm-hmm. So having um, a break, being aware, this is how I feel. Yes. Quickly time out. Let me, let me get on top of it. Yes. Yeah. Look, there's some days where you just don't want to face you the can't. world, which is totally normal. And that's mm. what I tell a lot of the other women. Mm. There will be days where you just don't want to be mm. with anyone mm. or deal with life. But you just take it one day at a time. That's what it's I like did. It's like Bernadette, our former guest, who said, um, you know, she's a homeopath and she was very much in control of all of her treatment. And that first round of chemotherapy was so difficult for her that she had to give up work. And it was such a hard thing for her to do. Absolutely. Um, you know, because she felt like she Absolutely. was just giving in. or No, but, but it's not giving in. I think when you actually don't fight it and go with it. Mm. That's when you'll be okay. When I you like when you fight it, it's, it makes it a lot harder. Yeah. Stacey, we're going to take a break. Thank you. Don't go away. Lifelinks is a DL Link fundraising initiative. Welcome back to the DL Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. Stacey, I just love the SMS that came through from your daughter. My mom is such a warrior. She is awesome. I love her. From Kiki. That's oh. what got me through. That's mm. what got me through my, mm. my treatment. Still gets me through. Because there's still some days where people don't realize when you have such harsh chemotherapy and operations that you are, you still have delayed fatigue, you're mm. tired. Mm. Life's not the same. Yeah, yeah. Someone always said there's life pre-cancer and there's life post-cancer. Absolutely. Absolutely. So your son was how old when you were going through all of this? My son was seven and a half and my daughter was five. She can't remember that much because she was a lot younger. He is now remembering a lot because he's going to be 13 and he's asking a lot of questions now. Which is tough. It's tough for him. He also lost his granny. Yes. Um, he had his granny and his mom having chemotherapy at the, at the same, same time. time. So cancer came back. Your mom was, was free of cancer yes. and then it returned in her bones. It returned in her bones, yes. Then oh, it that went must to have been spine. awful. Stacey. It was, but I think we, we actually, we saved each other. Mm. Um, I think I gave her extra time. Um, she wanted to make sure that I was okay and then she could let go. Oh. Um, and then, and then I actually found the strength to help her while I was going through treatment. Sure. Amazing. So God gives us things for a reason. Absolutely. Well, in hindsight, if you can see that, that's amazing. Absolutely. That's, yes, we have to. Uh, yeah. So you, you, you spoke about the DL link contacting you and yes. wanting to help you. And you said you had a support system. I did. I'm just wondering, yes. you know, as a mother, every decision I make is based around my children. Everything, every plan, everything that I do uh, yes. to have your health taken away from you, to have your life turned upside down. And I know that that's what the DL link does. If anything, the DL link understands that agony, the agony of a mother who has children and really has to almost disconnect you to heal. To. You have to. How how did you do that? Did you, you have that support? I, I had amazing support. I got an au pair, thank goodness, um, for my children, mm. which was very hard letting go of that control, mm. but I knew I had to. Mm. I had unbelievable friends who were amazing to my children. But it's still, at the end of the day, my kids used to come home from school. I couldn't even lift my head, and I used to hear what was going on with the homework. And you, ah, I can't help you, you mm. know. It's, but you do have to let go because it's the time for you to survive and heal. Mm. It's about you and your fight. Sure. And children are resilient. 
You know, they really are. They, they, they will get on with things. You know, you have to fight and, and get healthy for them. Actually. Did you used to talk about what was happening? Because physically they're seeing their moms changed, as you said, exhausted, you know, from being this yes. strong mother, being there for them all the time. Yes. What kind of conversations I, I did you have? I tried not to scare them. Um, I didn't use the word cancer so much. I just told them that I had horrible, nasty cells inside of me mm. and I was getting medicine. To make me better. Right. I actually wasn't sick. Mm. That was the only way that I could think in my mind that the, a seven-year-old or five-year-old will actually understand what was going on. Mm. Um, but we spoke about it a lot. Um, I'm, or, I'm a very open person, which for me it helped. Yeah. Some people aren't. They find they need to go through the journey, you know, more by themselves. For me, I needed the support. I needed to be open about what was happening. Um, and I think my children appreciated that, and they still do. So you didn't hide anything. You were feeling no. something. You spoke about it. Friends, family, they were all on board. Absolutely, yes. Mm. No, I was very fortunate in that way. Mm. The support makes a huge difference, and that's why the DL link is incredible. I mean, I still get mahalas delivered on Fridays, which... Every time it, it, that doorbell rings mm. and I, I get that color, it just warms my heart. Mm. And I have phoned and I said, please, you don't have to deliver to me anymore. You know, I'm, I'm capable of making my own colors now, but it's just there's something. It just gets me every mm. single Shabbos when that color gets delivered. I think the DL Link see you. You're a member of the family. You'll always be a member of Which the family. It's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. So how long ago did it, did it happen that you had the cancer? Um, it is now, it was 2011. When when I was diagnosed, my year of treatment was 2012. So I'm nearing, please God, my five-year mark, um, which for any woman, that's a biggie. That is you know, fantastic, Stacey. So that's I'm great. there, thank goodness. And you've got such a beautiful attitude and approach. I mean, you've said that you, you feel like you need to pass this on. I do. And that's what I you're do. doing. You're speaking to women yes. and you're, you, you, you giving talks. Absolutely, yes. I'm getting, there's a talk going on this Wednesday on Women's Day at Lavian Rose. Fantastic. Which we if anybody wants Rose. to come and support oh, would be great. Oh. Um, I'm speaking with a, a few other very empowered women. Um, and then also just the phone calls I get from women who are facing the same battle. Mm-hmm. That really, that touches me most, more mm-hmm. than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also in the process of writing a book. Wow. Sharing my story. Wow. Yeah, with the help of Shani Krebs. He's editing for well, me. She's Dragons and Butterflies. What's, is that what it's called? Yes. Dragon? I mean, if you, how's that book? Fantastic. Yeah, amazing. So That's yeah, lovely. he's just helping me because I'm not a writer, uh-huh. but I'm just sharing my story. Mm-hmm. Um, Hoping to just help others. Touch as many. Exactly. Uh-huh. So, exactly. That, so they know they're not alone. It's absolutely many because who it's have gone very on that scary. Journey. Yeah. You can feel alone yeah. and I don't want anyone to feel alone going through it. Oh, fantastic, Stacey. So, well, thank you so much for coming and you. sharing your story. As I said, you're the warrior. You're our angel as well. Oh, um, if you. people are interested in coming on Wednesday, what time is it? Yes, it is at 5.30 at Livion Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, it's through the Angel Network. Okay. They can go onto their Facebook sites, message, message them directly. Um, please come get and the support. tickets beforehand. Yes, get the tickets beforehand, please. Okay. Yeah. I think it's going to be a wonderful yeah. event. So I thanks, so. Stacey. Thanks for coming on to the show. It's been Thank lovely, you. lovely meeting Thank with your you beautiful daughter. <laughs> and thanks so much for tuning in. It's been, as always, a, a true pleasure spending the past hour with you. Just a reminder, when we talk about the DL link, if you do have time, if you'd like to volunteer your time, please do give them a call. They're always looking for help. Um, any assistance that you can give. 
Um, you can call them on 011-485-3269. That is 011-485-3269. From me, Nikki Seberini, until next week, you take care. Goodbye. LifeLinks is a DL Link fundraising initiative.